Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I have a great guest on, someone who is a disruptor in our industry, and I love disruptors. We have Ishai Grinberg, who is the CEO of Rental Beast, and it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> great to be here. I love it. So, Isha, I know you've had a great background in real estate, but for the sake of our listeners, can you just share a little bit about your background, please? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I started my career in real estate as a real estate agent in New York. So, um, interesting. It's, it's, it's glad to hear that you're uh, holding down the fort over, uh, <laughs> over in New York City. Somebody's on the island still. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and it, you know, it, in the early days, it took me forever. It took me, I think, three months before I generated my first commission in general. And I, uh, I remember that day very, very well. I got a check for $182.50. Um, eventually, I figured out how to do sales. And I ended up being a managing broker for a team of about 75 sales and rental agents in the Flatiron District. Um, Just down the street from me. Just down the street from you, yeah. Uh, my my watering hole used to be Eisenberg's, uh, across from the flat iron over there, and I used to have really large cups of coffee and extremely unhealthy sandwiches on a regular basis. But that was a lot younger back then. Um, so so that's how I started, and then you know I got married. So my wife's family was from the Boston area, so we settled in in the Boston area, and I started my own little brokerage here as well. Uh, but what became clear to me kind of at the job, and I'm sure you're going to ask me about it, was that uh, every time we had a customer that was looking to purchase residential real estate, it was seemingly a fairly straightforward transaction. And what I mean by that is the buyer, uh, the seller, and, and me as the agent, we always knew what steps needed to be taken in order to complete the transaction. And there was great visibility into what is available to be purchased through the local MLS, except New York is the only city without an MLS, but everywhere else there is one. Um, however, every time somebody wanted to rent, it was just a super painful and time-consuming transaction because you know, almost to this day, when you're trying to figure out what's actually available and for what price, there's really no one source of truth for you to do that. So it's painful for the consumer, it's painful for the agents, and, and that's kind of how I uh, eventually came up with the idea behind Rental Beast. But that's, that's kind of my origin story. I guess one thing I'll, I'll mention, because it's probably relevant, is through the years I started buying real estate, investment property real estate, developed these rentals and became a landlord. So I've been a landlord now for 15 years. And for most of my life, I've been a rental, uh, renter, rather. Um, and, uh, and I own my home now, but, uh, but I've been on every possible side of, I think, this rental transaction. So I take it that when you had that first commission check for $182.50, it was on a rental. And so as you start looking at what there was, you started coming into this and it was, and I, and I love what you sort of said about the fact that for a consumer on the rental side, there was no universal source of truth. And that's a beautiful statement because it's so true. It's the idea that the consumer was the last person in that equation almost 
where it was like, here's your source of information. And there isn't any true transparency as to that information. Is that just somebody who's putting up a listing just to try to get a lead? And, you know, the thing doesn't even exist. And it's sort of like, so there was a lot of that in our industry. So tell me, you saw the opportunity. So tell me a little bit about your company and about how you've actually corrected that sort of need in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. So you know what's what's work. There is a model that works on the for sale side, and it's called MLS. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's working throughout the country. People can complain about it, but the reality is, it's kind of like the utility company for a building. That's what MLS is to brokerage. It's just the piping in the back that makes it all possible and organizes it. And the simple idea behind Rental Beast was let's build a rental MLS, right? Let's build the utility company that organizes it and makes it easy to service this really, really large business of, of rentals. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What it means is that in any market we exist, we try to gain access to as close to 100% of the available rental inventory. We never get to 100%. We end sure. up getting to like 70 or 80%. But um, significantly more than any, any other data resource that I know exists. The second thing that we do, which I think is unique, is we've built the database like an MLS. So what does that mean? It means that on every property in our system, it has to come to us from the source, from the owner or the property manager. We don't scrape the data. We don't take unverified third-party feeds. It has to come from the person that ultimately makes a decision on whether to accept or not accept the prospective tenant. On every individual property, we collect what we define as fulfillment grade data. So could be anywhere from 50 to 150 data points, which when an agent looks at that property, just like on an MLS listing, they have all the information they need to physically visit the property or vi now virtually show it, sign the lease and collect the commission. And the last thing we do, I think uniquely, and is the hardest part of our job, is the way we look at maintaining this database. Unlike MLS, the shelf life of a rental listing could be sometimes counted in hours. I mean, if you're in New York, you probably know that, uh, but it's all over the country. I mean, we can get an available property at 10 o'clock in the morning that's rented by you know four o'clock that afternoon. So it's not enough that we find all these listings. It's about keeping them as close to real time as possible. Otherwise they become stale and useless. So. So that's the data asset that we've built. And uh, on top of that, we've built a SaaS platform that integrates directly into an MLS um, and, uh, and it powers the ability to, to, you know, to kind of service the half, of the half of the population in the country that chooses to rent before they buy. So did you come from a tech background? Because this is a rather technical about doing all of this. Was that your background, part of your real estate slash tech guru? No, actually not at all. I, I, I'm a pure real estate guy. Yeah. So I, I, I brought the real estate expertise to the transaction and I was fortunate to surround myself with much smarter, um, you know, technologists and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and colleagues that were able to build the, the, the necessary technologies uh, that, that, to facilitate all this. Yeah. But I think that's also part of what makes us unique. I see over the years, running Rental Beast, I've seen a ton of startups that come into the prop tech or real estate technology space purely from a technical perspective. 
yes. meaning the, the founders or the founding team is, uh, is coming from software. And oftentimes, there is a ton of misunderstanding about how this business actually works. I keep telling people over the years, technology moves fast. Real estate moves really, really slow. Yeah. So you got you to be able to balance those two things. And, and, uh, and I think we do that well. And it's also the humanity that comes from a real estate transaction, right? It's still a people business. It is still the fact that you're going to do business with somebody that A, you like and trust. And it's that humanity that you can't put on a data point, right? You can't data mine that. That has to be the balance of what you create and having that experience that you had and finding the niche because you went through it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's putting a set of tools around a human being that yeah. is necessary in that transaction and not taking a set of tools that replaces the human beings, right? It's, it's, right. Uh, it's, it's exactly the approach, you're correct. And so, you know, and, and who's going to say no to you? You know, you grew up in Haifa and <laughs> you actually were also a combat officer in the Israeli uh, uh, Defense Force, which I think is, is phenomenal. And I want to ask you, what lessons did that amazing experience teach you? And by the way, I have some amazing friends in my life that actually were your, uh, your, your, your friends in the same sort of uh, environment. And so, and then the loyalty that we have as friendships are something that, you know, I, I just admire and treasure. And aside from that sense of, of loyalty, what else, what other lessons were taught to you with that amazing background? Man, so many. I mean, in retrospect, um, the actual skills that you learn um, as a combat officer are absolutely 1,000% useless because, um, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you don't I, I was really... waiting for some words of wisdom, Ishai. Yeah, so, so I'll just... <laughs> no, 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 no. So, I, I mean, the, the, the technical skills of, uh, of a foot soldier are really something that you use. However, um, you know, what I, what I gained from that experience is, first of all, it was, it was my first management experience, right? Because as a commanding officer, you have to motivate people to do uh, very, very hard things. Most of the time, they're counterintuitive to what you want to do. For example, you don't want to, you know, run towards, uh, you know, live fire. You know, how do you convince somebody to do that? But if you can figure that one out, you can probably, you know, figure out how to convince them to do other things and motivate them to, to sell or rent real estate. It's a little, it, a little bit easier. The bar is a little, slightly lower. Um, I think you learn a lot about work ethics, right? Um, you know, you, you, you to, there's no nine to five in the army. It's not a concept that you get, you're familiar with. So you just do what you need to do when you need to do it to get the job done. Um, and I think that was instilled in me. And I think that the last thing that's probably important is the, the, the ability to, overcome adversity I love that. is I think, you know, every real estate agent is their own business. And, and, and most, most agents understand that. So it doesn't matter, you know, where you work, who you work for at the end of the day, you eat what you kill and you're your own business. And any entrepreneur that's ever stepped foot in this world that gained any level of success overcame adversity. So, you know, not, not, not to be corny, but, but, uh, and it's not from the army, but, in one of the Rocky films, I think there is a, there's a sentence that I have hanging in my office that goes something like, it's not about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. 
So, so something like that, right? You keep getting hits and you keep getting knocked down and, and life will do that to you. But if you have the ability to overcome those things, uh, there's absolutely no limit to what you're able to achieve. I love that. That's amazing. And so tell me what the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career has been. Greatest lesson, um, I'll give you two. One is build your network as early as possible. You know, one of the biggest mistakes I've made as an entrepreneur is I thought I could do it all on my own. And I was, you know, I was, and to an extent, I still am a control freak. freak. So I just tried to do it all on my own. And at some point, because I needed to, I started to ask for help and yeah. started to build a network and brought in people with different, from different walks of life and different experiences. And the day I started to do that, um, my business and my life changed for the better. And I wish I started to, to kind of build that network and bring other people um, into the mix much, much earlier on, even, even in the idea stage, right? Find people that have that domain expertise, that are subject matter experts, that you trust, that you like, right? Have a strict no-asshole policy, Yes. Big on that, but bring people that you like, put them around you and have that positive energy and strategic alignment as early as possible. Um, I think that that's probably the biggest lesson on the real estate front. You know, I, when I was hiring and training agents, they kept getting that question is what is your number one advice? And on that front, my advice was always understand that anybody that you will ever meet is a prospective customer because you'll never meet somebody that doesn't need a place to live. So in order to make that true, you, you, you certainly have to be able to service them on both the sale and the for rent side. But, but that is 100% true, is understand that you're in the relationship business and everybody that you'll ever meet is a prospective customer. I love that because that seems such, such a simple thought, but we forget that, right? It, it is the idea that you always build your network. When somebody sort of says, how do you build your sphere of influence? Everyone has one right? Everybody has a sphere because we all know people. And so it's, it's, you start by starting with yourself and it's amazing. So I want to go back to, to rental beast and, you know, you, I, I, inter, I uh, started this interview by introducing you as a disruptor and you really have been uh, Zillow. You're one of your greatest competitors, you know, changed their rental policy earlier this year and it's the idea that you are one of the greatest aggregators of data now in the rental space. It seems like you were doing this all under the radar screen. And now all of a sudden, it's like people are looking up and it was like this, this David and Goliath story. It's sort of like, wait, where did you come from? How did you actually do that and bring all of that together now to really being a serious threat to one of the biggest players out there? Yeah, I don't know if uh, if Rich and Zillow are losing sleep over Rental Beast just yet, and and that certainly wasn't their intention. I think they have a great uh, a great company, and they've been truly disruptive for a while. As far as Rental Beast is concerned, look, it's first of all we're at it for now about a decade, so it's a lot of hard work that has gone into it. But we we've definitely built this database from the ground up. Um, the approach we've taken is, you know, we've divided the total inventory of rentals in this country into three distinct layers. The, the top layer are these bigger multifamily owners and operators that have national footprints or are kind of a multi-regional portfolio. And they, they have their data 
in some sort of a data feed or they're using some property management software. So we've worked very, very hard to integrate with all of these data feeds or these property management providers um, so that we can pull that information in and keep it in fresh. That represents about 20% of the inventory in the country and in our database. Then it gets only harder because the second layer is these mid-market managers that are much smaller. And if you walk around the streets of New York City, you'll walk into a rental property and this, the only thing you'll see is a bronze plaque that says Michael's Management Company, Inc. with a phone number, right, with a 212 number. And they literally don't have a website and they don't have anything, don't have a Facebook page. Uh, but uh, for the longest time, demand has outstripped the supply, so they didn't need to do that, right? Yep. So we've, we've spent years doing everything from putting boots on the ground, joining association, running bots, uh, running uh, digital marketing campaigns to build a lead sheet of which company falls into that bucket and then building technology that takes whatever they have, whether it's nothing or a Word document or a PDF and digitizing it into our system. And that's another 30 to 40% of the inventory. And, and the last layer is the small mom and pop owner and, and, and property manager like myself. And we've just, you know, we've done a lot. We've, we've built strategic partnerships with companies like Facebook and big insurance companies around the country and joined associations and put call centers out there and search engine marketing. And um, the idea is to build a value proposition that is attractive to any owner of any size. And one of the things that is embedded into our DNA is our service is 1000% free for any landlord of any size anywhere ever, right? So um, we, because we wanna gain access to all this inventory and, and become the largest, most comprehensive rental database, we wanted to remove barriers and deliver value. And that was part of the, the, the mission statement from, from the first day. So, you know, everything a, a landlord needs from exposure with additional advertising to syndication to many, many um, traffic sites like Facebook, like Realtor, like HomeFinder, and many, many others. And that, that group is growing to tenant screening services, to rent payment collection, to we've built our own AVM. So if you wow. want to figure out how much rent should you be able to collect and how many days a unit is going to stay on the market, you can do that to building a marketplace around the move from insurance products to furniture. Um, so we really try and give you as much value as we can so that you can uh, um, so that you can benefit from the platform no matter how small or big you are but that's that's how we went about it and how many markets are you in now we're active in 25 msas around the country wow yeah that's amazing so i have a question for you now that you've had all this experience in all of these amazing markets and you were in the new york market yourself you were in the boston market what would be three pieces of advice you would give an agent coming into the industry today well, number one advice is everybody you meet is a customer. So you have to understand that and that needs to, to, to dictate the strategy. Um, number two, I really think rentals have to, obviously I'm biased, but I think rentals have to become an important part of your strategy because what's driving the sales market today are these millennials and Gen Zs. And that same group of people are 75% or 70% of the rental population. So, uh, so you can try and compete for these active buyers and sellers while they're already in the market, but that's a very expensive and dangerous game. And it takes a lot longer to build. If you start with rentals, you know, we have agents that come on and start making money in a couple of weeks versus three months like it took me or six months, which is the national average. 
Uh, so that'd be advice number two. And I think advice number three is get the right set of tools and the right set of people around you. Join a firm that really is going to build you up and support you, but get the right set of tools around you um, to, to be effective. It's very easy, you know, if you ever went into a trade show or a conference, um, there's so many things that are being sold to real estate agents. This website, this marketing tool, this CRM, this business card, and you can spend a ton of money very, very quickly uh, without a great ROI. So do the calculation, run through the math, and figure out for every dollar you spent, what's the return going to be and how that fits into your overall strategy. And I think kind of tying into that, and maybe I'm leaking over the, uh, the three advice category, um, I think coaching is really, really important, right? Mm. I, I keep seeing you know, evidence that if you get the right coach with the right set of tools around you, um, you know, as long as you put in the work, you're going to, you're going to do very well. You know, and that's a really big thing to start thinking about that ROI because very few agents think of themselves as CEOs of their own company. And that to me is one of the key things that differentiates those that are successful. No, exactly. I mean, it's uh, you're running your own business. So you got to have a budget, you got to have a plan and you got to manage it as well. And you have to know how much you're spending, right? It's sort of like, you know, what's your customer acquisition cost? I think, you know, you ask many agents and they'll look at you like, you know, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Never heard that term, right? Never heard that Customer acquisition cost, what's the lifetime value? Yes. Uh, You got to know all these things, of course. It's so true. It's so true. So I know in doing my research that you're also incredibly philanthropic. I wish you would uh, share with me a little bit about some of your efforts that you've been doing in that arena as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I saw Rob, Robert Kraft. I'm, I'm from Boston, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a plug to, to Mr. Kraft. I saw him speak at an event a few years ago about philanthropy. And it said, he said something that really resonated with me. And he said that he's making his philanthropic donations um, just like he makes business investments. He wants to get the most bang for the buck. The difference is when you make a philanthropic donation, um, you don't get the monetary return. You're not, you're not making more money on it, but you're making, you know, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, a spiritual return or, uh, or you're making an impact in your community. So, so that's kind of been my approach. I've, I've attached myself and I became a president uh, of, of our local Jewish community with Chabad. It's an organization that allows uh, basically anybody Jewish to participate at any level that they want without having to pay membership dues. Wow. And, and we support the community in whatever they need. It could be a life event like a bris or a wedding or bar mitzvah um, that they don't have the, the, the money or the ability to put together. Um, the, the small stuff that happens every week, like if they want to participate in services, they don't have to buy seats, uh, providing food to people that can't afford it when they need it, clothing. Um, so by supporting that organization um, in my local community, you know, every dollar you put in, 99.9 uh, cents on every dollar uh, are going to the cause. Nothing, nothing gets lost in the middle. And we started, uh, I think, out of a two-bedroom rental, and now we have about 300 families that are active participants in the community. We've built a nice little synagogue, and uh, and we keep expanding on it. So it's kind of a, my religious startup. So that's my uh, that's my I'm, I'm as passionate about that as my business, and uh, and 
And I think it's a really important balance. When I talk to people about giving charity, um, if, if it doesn't hurt when you're giving it, you're not doing it right. So every time it comes time to, 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 to make a donation, it doesn't matter how well or not well I'm doing financially. I always try and make sure that it hurts because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a religious guy and uh, yeah. I believe money is, uh, is something we get on loan from God. So uh, it's so true. So I, I, I try to act that way. Your face lights up when you talk about it. It's beautiful. <laughs> So I have one last question for you, Ishai. In your book of life, what is this chapter called? Hopefully it's called growth. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're going through a, an, ins, an insane growth uh, period um, with, with the business. And on a personal level, I think COVID has helped me like many, many other people uh, to really kind of focus and reset on what's really, really important, right? A lot of things have been stripped away that we've taken for granted. Um, spent more time with my wife, spent more time with my kids. I haven't seen my parents in a year. So it's really uh, an opportunity to take a step back to realize that uh, we think we're all high and mighty and we're really important and everything we do has a ton of consequence. But Sometimes God sends us a reminder that even with a virus that uh, you can put a million on the top of a, uh, of a pencil, um, you know, the world can get shut, shut down. So it's, it, it provides perspective. And, uh, and I think I'd love to look at this as a period of growth um, on every level, spiritual, with my family and with my business. I love that. Ishai, thank you so much for the time today. It was really wonderful to meet you. It's wonderful to know what you're doing in the industry. It's wonderful to have you as a leader in our community, in our industry. And it has just been amazing to spend time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Beltaz. Thank you.